This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. You might assume we're both good at presenting to a live audience because of this podcast. But at the end of the day, when we record, it really feels like we're just talking to one another. Presenting information in person in a formal setting to a large audience is something that still makes us really nervous. To prepare for a live speaking event we're hosting together, we turn to our masterclass subscription to not only refine our presentation skills, but to build our confidence in a different kind of public speaking capacity. Between Robin Roberts, Hillary Clinton, and Kevin Hart's expertise, our confidence skyrocketed. This year, learn from the best to become your best with Masterclass. Don't just talk about improving. Masterclass helps you actually do it. Masterclass offers over 180 world-class instructors. So whether you want to master negotiate with Chris Voss, think like a boss with Martha Stewart, or plan your dream wedding with celebrity event planner Mindy Wise, Masterclass has you covered. There are over 200 classes to pick from. With new classes added every month, like our latest aha moments from Robin Roberts' effective and authentic communication class that we watched before our event presentation. She taught us how to establish a genuine connection with the audience from the start. I'll always be a little nervous before presenting, but Masterclass prepared us in a way that dialed my nerves down and gave me tools to ground myself. Plus, every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so there's no risk. And right now, our listeners get an additional 15% off an annual membership at masterclass.com slash shrinkchicks. Get 50% off right now at masterclass.com slash shrinkchicks. Masterclass.com slash shrinkchicks. Welcome to Shrink Chicks. I'm Emily Beerley. And I'm Jennifer Chaikin. And we're licensed marriage and family therapists and owners of the therapy group. We're on a mission to make therapy and therapeutic topics more relatable and accessible. So stay tuned, because in order to grow yourself, you gotta know yourself. Welcome to Shrink Chicks. Today we have one of our new favorite people. We cannot wait to get to know her more. Scout Sobel. We are going to talk all about um, Scout Agency, um, your podcast, and your amazing book that just came out that we're huge fans of, um, The Emotional Entrepreneur. How are you today? I am so much better now that I'm looking at you two lovely ladies. You are bringing energy on a Thursday morning. And to be honest, let me tell you something. My husband, he makes coffee for me every single morning. Like he, he's like a big coffee aficionado. It's what happened with the pandemic. He's got this whole like espresso thing. He grinds his own beans. It's a situation. And so he makes the coffee and then it's scheduled so that it's ready for me when I wake up because I wake up earlier than him. Um, But he forgot to do that. And so I just poured in like a lot and uh, it was strong. It was strong today. So I'm here in good spirits. Oh, so you're like, are is are your are your palms sweating? No, I'm just <laughs> enthusiastic and passionate about life. Ah, it really works out. You don't even need the coffee. <laughs> so, Scout, give us a little intro to yourself. So, I am Scout Sobel. I am the founder of Scout's Agency, which is a PR-focused, uh, female-focused PR agency that specializes in getting women as guests on podcasts. I am also the co-host of OK Sis Podcast, which I run with my sister, Mads. I am the host of Scout Podcast, which I um, just solo episodes of me rambling about the intersection of mental health and entrepreneurship because I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder at the age of 20. And now I am the author of The Emotional Entrepreneur, The Emotional Guidebook for Entrepreneurship. 
Wait, and I have to say one of the things that I love so much about the book is not only is the content so great, but in the chapters you also have space for you to write down your own thoughts and to process. And so it's a book and a workbook all in one, which I love. I think we can all agree that sometimes when we read messages, they resonate with us and we get inspired by them. But it's not until you write it down that it kind of clicks and it more embodies into your subconscious. So I didn't want people to read it and think, oh, that's a great idea. I'll do that and then never get to it. I wanted to kind of have that accountability like, no, we're going to do that right now. All right. It like almost holds you accountable to apply it to your own life, right? Mm-hmm. You're like taking the time to write it down. So first of all, congratulations on your book. We are so excited for you. Thank um, you. What I, I really want to hear about your journey and what got you to this point. So, you know, this has been a now 16-year journey that I've been on, although it can really date back to when I was four. I remember my earliest, one of my earliest memories is experiencing anxiety and not knowing what was happening to my body and feeling really strange about it. And it lasted like three days and I felt as if I had done something wrong and I was, you know, feeling a lot of shame and I didn't tell anybody because I was just confused as to what the sensation was. But it really started, you know, when I was 14, a freshman in high school, I had my first depressive episode. It was very apparent to me and others that I was stopping to take care of myself. I was self-harming. I was binging and restricting food in an attempt to control what I would, you know, what I felt as if I could not control. And that depressive episode was really the beginning of my journey with mental health. I was put into therapy once my school found out that I was self-harming and they told my parents. Um, and, you know, I, I, I was the only person or the only friend in my friend group that was in therapy. This was 15 years ago. And so the idea that people without quote unquote diagnosed mental illnesses would go to therapy was not a thing. And so um, I was the only peer in therapy. I took a 500 question test and I ranked between uh, chronic and clinical depression and nothing was really done. You know, a lot of the times when you're in high school, maybe it's teenage hormones, maybe I'm just sensitive. And, you know, I think that's a blessing and a curse. It's a blessing because I wasn't put on psychiatric medication too young, or I wasn't completely uprooted from my high school experience and put into treatment. And the curse is that I was not uprooted and put into treatment and put on psychiatric (laughs) medication young. So there's definitely a pro and con to both, but it wasn't until I left for college that I started developing um, psychosis and a sense of extreme paranoia that men were following me home, that they were under my bed, in my bal- on my balcony, in my closet, waiting to come harm and kill me. And so I would plan escape routes in my head and I wouldn't move a finger out of fear. And it became such an issue that I really was starting to lose touch with reality. And so it was in that experience that this idea of my parents asking, is my daughter a hormonal teenager or is there something bigger happening? The answer pretty much revealed itself that there was something bigger happening. So at the age of 18, that's when I started um, visiting psychiatrists, et cetera. And then at the age of 20, I was formally diagnosed with bipolar type two disorder. And that diagnosis, which we can talk about really, really broke me down. Um, I I don't even think I have to look this up because I've said this on so many podcast interviews and I don't know. I don't even think Instagram was launched. Like maybe we were year one into Instagram. I really don't even think it was around. And so this idea of mental health awareness month or self-care was not a thing. And so 
thought I was done for and crazy. I dropped out of college, became completely unable to function in society, outpatient program, locked up on 5150. And, you know, when I quit every minimum wage job, internship, after hours, school session possible, uh, you know, I found entrepreneurship and it was something that worked in my mind. I have high highs, I have low lows with my bipolar disorder and entrepreneurship has the same. And so once I found that at the age of 22, I recognized that there was a place for me in this world where I could be successful. And while my healing journey has been quite long, I wouldn't say that. I would say that it was until last year that I've actually really developed the belief that I'm safe in my emotions. That's really when I started feeling, feeling safe in my mental illness. It's taken a long, long time. Yeah. You know, I think it's so, I, I love what you talked about as like bringing up the idea of like Instagram, right? Because we talk a lot about like um, mental health stigma, but I think well, a lot of times when people are talking about destigmatizing mental health, they're talking about anxiety and depression, which everyone already talks about. But people are not talking as much about bipolar, schizophrenia, any of these other ones, because everyone's able to say, oh, I have sometimes had anxiety or I've sometimes like felt depressed, right? But in a lot of ways, bipolar is one of those things that people can use um, and toss around as a personality trait, right, right? Like very flippantly, like, oh, I'm feeling very bipolar, right? Or like, yeah, or thing. she's bipolar because she's a bitch one second and has right. to be like nice the next. Yeah, exactly. no, that's not bipolar. That, that bitch is just being a bitch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, right? But so like when people talk about mental health, I feel like they often are just talking about anxiety, depression, but there is such a variety of different things. And you're so right. I mean, as two people that are entrepreneurs ourselves, like to be able to have your workflow go with what works for you and not try to stick yourself into a traditional nine to five, which probably does not work for you. No, I was deemed unfunctional, unfunctionable, which isn't even a word, but I've coined it as a word because I would try to work these regular jobs and I would quit every single one. I would have crippling anxiety. Um, and you know, I think that a lot of entrepreneurs can relate to that regardless of whether they have a mental illness or not. Um, but I think it is an interesting conversation that like things like bipolar disorder aren't brought up as much as depression and anxiety. And I really think that this is, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, is that depression, and anxiety, you know, people can experience depressive episodes and suffer from depression at different points in their lives. Bipolar disorder to me feels like more of a longevity of an illness yes. that you have to kind of cope with constantly. So I think that might be the distinction, but the door that it has opened for me has been in the world I like to play in is mental health for everybody. Because I think that mental, the mentally ill have very specific experiences, but everyone can and will suffer from their mental health at one point mm -hmm. in their life. And even if they don't think they're suffering, getting a handle on it and feeling safe in your emotions and really, really exercising mental strength is only going to improve your career, your relationships, your quality of life, your purpose. And it's really a needed practice if you're going to play big and pursue something in this lifetime. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And it sounds like something I thought, you know, that I wanted to bring back up is that um, the time in which you were diagnosed, and we talk a lot about this too, like what a diagnosis in and of itself does, um, especially with the stigma that's attached to it and the fact that it was happening at, during the time that you were 20 and there wasn't a lot of support around mental health, wasn't a lot of discussion around it. What did the like diagnosis in and of itself do at the time for you? 
you know, I have so much to say about diagnoses and it's not, I said, that sounds like I have a very passionate stance around it. You know, when I was diagnosed, she told me I was manic depressive and I blacked out. I don't remember anything she said. I'm sure she tried to tell me what that meant. I walked back to my apartment, which I was living with my best friends at college at the time. And I opened my phone and I Googled it. I just sat there and Googled it, knowing that something big was about to happen to me or had just happened to me. And it said bipolar. And I, I thought I was done for. Like, I thought it was the end for me. It was the reason why I couldn't get to French class. It was the reason why I couldn't hold the minimum wage job. Was I going to have to live with my parents forever? What does this mean in society? And so I was on the next flight home and dropped out of college at that time. And so when it, when it happened, it was very scary. It was very, very scary. And I also want to highlight that people don't really realize, and I hope one day I can change this. I really think this is in my but part of my purpose in life yet at a later age, not right now, is that when I was diagnosed, a year later, I started dating my now husband, then boyfriend, and he was a year and a half sober. He's 10 years sober now from, from addiction. And yeah, amazing. Congratulations to him. Yeah, it's awesome. And so he was really the one that prompted me to walk down a path of active healing, of taking responsibility for the cards that I was dealt and over my emotions. And I used to get so angry and maybe even jealous at him because he had a mental illness that he has a mental illness that takes form in addiction. There are places for those people to go. You go to detox and then you go to rehab and then you go to sober living. And all the while you're in the rooms five days a week and there is a structure for you. I healed by walking around in the dark, by trying to grasp onto anything, by finding any sort of community, any sort of book that would help me. Um, and that's unfortunate, I think, that the treatment options, I called rehabs, and I was like, can you take me? Like, someone fucking admit me for six right. months. Help me get my life back together. Yeah. They would not take me because I didn't have an addiction problem. And so I really hope that in the future, one day there is a place for people who are struggling with their mental health, who have the foresight to check themselves in and to solely dedicate their focus on that. Because I was healing while trying to be a barista and trying to do community college. You know, I, I think looking back as I'm almost 30, my healing was pretty quick to get to this point, but it could have been faster, or at least it could have felt more supported, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And another thing about the sober community is there is such a community yeah. around them, right? Like it's built in that part of your healing is the community that's around you and you lean on others for support. And you have a sponsor, which is like a mentor, right? right? Like you do have all of these connections and you're right. Like it's set up literally in steps. <laughs> do this and then do this and you're going to go to this and you do 90 and 90 and here's what you do. And you get a bipolar diagnosis and it's like, all right, we'll go find a therapist and like, good luck to you. Maybe take this med. <laughs> right. And it, I can imagine that being isolating in a lot of ways without like with the stigma around it. Right. Like, who do I talk to? Um, what support do I have around this? That, you know, it sounds like at the time you were looking for a community or some like someone just give me something, some sort of support, some sort of structure. And that that was really hard to find. Mm -hmm. 
really fun fact about me that you might not know is that if I let my hair dry natural, it is a frizzball mess, which is one of the many reasons I absolutely love pros. I truly never thought that I would be able to embrace my natural hair texture. Ever since I switched to a custom hair routine with pros, I've noticed so many benefits. Less frizzy hair, yes, but beyond that too. My hair is shinier, healthier, and so much more manageable. Filming the podcast every week makes checking out my hair unavoidable, and I have felt so much more confident on camera thanks to pros. Pros is made for people, not hair and skin types. Personalization is rooted in everything they do. The custom shampoo and conditioner combo, plus the hydrating leave-in conditioner and hair oil keeps the frizz at bay. It also makes for the smoothest blowout. People keep asking me if I got my hair cut or went to the salon, which is of course the highest compliment. Pros isn't just better for you. It's better for the planet. They're certified B Corp cruelty free and the first and only carbon neutral custom beauty brand. They even have a review and refine tool, which learns from my feedback and adjusts my formula to keep up with the seasons and changes in my life. I use this feature when I moved to my temporary house in New Jersey, back to my house house post construction project in Pennsylvania. Environmental factors like water source is something that pros takes into consideration with their customization. So it was very cool that I had the ability to update my location. Pros is so confident that you'll bring out your best hair and skin, and they're offering an exclusive trial offer of 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash shrinkchicks. So you get a free consultation, then 50% off at pros.com slash shrinkchicks. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash shrinkchicks. I am thrilled that the weather is finally warming up here in Philly. I went to switch out my closet the other day from my fall winter wear to my spring summer wear and noticed that I very much needed a refresh. So thank goodness for Quince that allows me to update my wardrobe for the long haul without spending a fortune. Now I have a lineup of timeless pieces that keep me looking effortlessly chic year after year. I refresh my closet with the high-waisted linen shorts that come in multiple colors and patterns, the comfiest cotton tees, and my latest favorite, the smocked mini dress. And don't miss out on their accessories. Quince has the coolest sunglasses and 14 karat gold jewelry to complete any look. The best part, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes, making me feel even better about my purchases. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash shrinkchicks for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash shrinkchicks to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash shrinkchicks. It was very isolating because I didn't know anybody else in my situation. And I really do think that the narrative that I was given by therapists and psychiatrists, this is, you know, I think therapy and psychiatry is a, uh, we're really lucky to have that type of support in our life today, in our society today. And the narrative that they put upon me was quite, quite damaging. You know, there was no talk of if you take responsibility and if you just, you know, really accept that this is your life path. You can get through it. There is healing available. It was more like, you know, the hospital's always an option when the suicidal ideation gets too big, right? And I'm like, I'm not a fucking two-year-old, you asshole. And it was just, I was constantly like, monitor. Well, we'll monitor yeah. you. We'll monitor you. We'll monitor you. Um, and it made me feel like a clinical patient. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't necessarily given the tools 
because of their attitude towards me, it didn't make me feel as it didn't make me feel or believe in myself that I could be something. It was just taught to me like, this is something that you'll have. We'll figure out how to manage it. Many psychiatrists fucked me up even more because they put me on stuff that they shouldn't have put me on. And I wasn't fully educated on the withdrawals and the symptoms. And so to anyone listening to this, I think medication is such a beautiful option and helped me in many ways throughout my journey. And really be an advocate for yourself in those offices and ask the right questions. Like ask what withdrawals are, you know, because I went through a month of withdrawal from a med that was horrific and nobody told me. And so my husband just thought that I was so deeply depressed when really it was just withdrawal from a medication. And so, you know, it's isolating. And then when you go into, if you don't really advocate for yourself for the right therapist and the right psychiatrist, you can be fed messages that, you can't overcome what you're overcoming. And so I think I, I hired a coach last year. She's not a therapist. She's a coach. And I said to her, I said, listen, like I'm bipolar and I could get suicidal. And I listed everything. I could get catatonic on you. And I was like, are you really sure as a coach, you want to coach me? She says, yes, you're human. (laughs) Yeah. And she was the first person that actually looked at me Like I was just human Mm -hmm. and I grew and healed so much with her because she was never afraid. I was never a patient that needed to be monitored Mm -hmm. in her eyes. I was someone with unlimited potential that hadn't been given the right empowering narrative. And so I think that if you're going into therapy and psychiatry, really ask yourself, is this the right fit? Is this person the right fit for me? Because it's so incredibly important because I think that the narrative that I was fed, just looking back, allowed me to stay stuck. Well, the interesting part about that also is like, you'll see a lot of therapists that are leaving the field to become coaches. And part of that is because coaches do not have to abide by the same ethical and legal guidelines because there's not state and federal jurisdiction around it, right? So for us as therapists, part of it is if our clients hurt themselves or unalive themselves, we can hold responsibility where coaches don't have that. So there are tons of therapists that are choosing to leave the role of therapy and and divest from licensure so that they can go do this work without possibly getting sued themselves. So it's such an interesting thing about how policy has in some ways clinicalized what should be a healing field and taken away a lot of that because therapists will come in the room and be so worried. The second you talk about suicidal ideation, some therapists freak out, right? It's all they think about is, okay, well, we got to get you right from Pennsylvania. It's like, I need to fix, I need to fix this. I need to fix this. As long as as you don't unalive yourself, there we go. Because it's like practicing based in fear as opposed to based in like, I hear you, I'm here for you and I hear how much pain you're in. Mm -hmm. also like yes a hundred percent it is very interesting that therapists are dropping off to be coaches and I think there's something to be said about that because obviously the healing modalities are really in these therapists because they understand the material right and it's so cool to see you know back then my therapist was 75 right like there's no there's no young (laughs) cool person back then who got it you know I was and when he and he when he went to school 75 years before that (laughs) Like, you know, I'm, it's a little different education. Yeah. So I they mean, were diagnosing women with hysteria. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he I was like, do you have your period? 
I think I've been out of the therapy game for a long time. Although I did have this most amazing therapist who like, I fucking love so much. She, she blurred the lines a lot, which yeah. really helpful for me. But <laughs> yeah, I think today it's, it's cool how women in our generation can be therapists and we don't have to necessarily result to the gross room of a 75 year old man. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's it. Right? One of the things Jen and I talk about a lot, the reason we became therapists because we had such horrible experiences in therapy and so we're very spiteful women ourselves <laughs> and we think well i fuck that let me i can do it better right and- like we were we were told <laughs> when we were becoming therapists that we need to mute ourselves and neutralize in the ourselves. room don't, to don't, neutralize don't ourselves. wear dresses <laughs> and we very much didn't believe that we believe it's healing to be a human being as a therapist and to you know that's why we went into the field to begin with to like give to our clients to be a human with our clients because just as you're saying that coach was so healing for you because they treated you like a human which is what you deserve what you've always deserved and that's the thing that was the most healing for you Mm -hmm. yes so my message here is just it's it's I just want to make it clear it's not an anti-therapy message because I love therapy (laughs) (laughs) The message is that just because they're a therapist does not mean they are the right fit for your healing. Yes, this is this is our That's what our I'm message all around. We love that. This sh- well, and, bravo. <laughs> but I also think I love that you're so open talking about like suicidal ideation, right? Because I think that actually suicidal ideation is completely normal. Um, I think that most people at some point in their life have thought about this. It is completely normal to want an escape plan in life when we feel like there's no other control. Shouldn't I get the control of how this goes down, right? So like suicidal ideation is this completely normal thing. But I think a lot of us have felt so much shame from that experience or have been shamed from health practitioners often from openly admitting this that there's a thought that like quote unquote I'm too fucked up to run a business or I'm too fucked up to go be married or I'm too fucked up to have you know any of these own things so instead I'll just work at this desk my nine to five and I'll fucking hate my life and feel like a cog in the machine and continue to isolate and and it just further feeds it as if there's not amazing fucking people running badass companies like yourself doing badass things who have gone through this journey to figure it out. I mean, I listened to a TED talk and he said, do you want to know what the nickname, do you want to know what CEO's nickname is? Bipolar disorder. So many CEOs and entrepreneurs suffer from intense mental illness. And this is where I really like to reframe it. I get a lot of women from Ocasis coming to me and saying, I I just got a bipolar diagnosis. I am freaking out. And I said, congratulations, you're now one of the lucky ones. Mm. It's going to suck. It's not going to feel good. You're going to have a lot of pain and discomfort. But I promise you right now, if you choose to walk through the healing, if you choose to walk through the discomfort and you do not take a passive victim mentality over your life, You will emerge stronger and your purpose will be lit beyond what you can imagine. You will be able to see things that others cannot see had they not walked through similar emotional turmoil. So my bipolar disorder is my inner compass that literally keeps me in alignment every single day. If I veer off the path very slightly, it flares up and basically takes me down within a matter of weeks. So it is always telling me to course correct. This idea that our emotions are something to get rid of or that they're uh, distracting us from our life or they're painting it negatively, it's just a perception because they just want to be heard. And if we can hear them and hold them in reverence, 
they have messages for us that are so incredibly potent and inspiring. And so I've made a pact with myself in the last year that I will love my life unconditionally, regardless of what emotion is coming up. I will give space to it regardless of how shitty it feels. And I, you know, if I can think of a million other things I'd rather feel, of course, but I will feel it because it's here to tell me something. And so the minute I did not make my emotions the enemy, the minute I did not identify them and label them as the thing that ruins my life was the moment I was able to look at them as the biggest guides ever. And so as someone who's so emotional, it's just because my life is so ridiculously purposeful. I mean, I literally go out into my backyard and I cry because I'm listening to fucking Whitney Houston and life's awesome. You know, like, you know, it's just to not feel and to be at war with our emotions is, is missing out on this human experience. That, first of all, was so beautiful. I need that to Yeah, be you should write like, a book or yeah, something. Yeah, you should. Yeah, so <laughs> wild. Um, <laughs> yeah, go with your words. Wow. Have you considered writing yeah, a book? you should probably think about that. I'll put it on my to-do list. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Um, no, but, but I, but it sounds like truly what you're talking about is like trusting yourself, right? Like being very in tune and trusting your emotions. And I think society has told us that we shouldn't trust ourselves, right? That we're something to be fixed. Our emotions are something to be fixed. Especially the mentally ill. Yes. Yes. Yep. And so the fact that you have learned to be so in tune with your emotions, trust your emotions and know that. You you are a unique individual who is allowed to feel those emotions and give space to those emotions. Not only are you allowed, but when you do, it gives you so much power over your own life. And it just like the way that you're describing the empowerment that you feel within yourself, I think is something that so many people could use with mm-hmm. the way in which our society tells us to push our emotions down. I love that you talk like I mean like you are living the idea of leaning in right so like right like so many people are trying to fight against what is just part of us right like how could I not the number one question we get how do I not feel this way how do I not feel anxious how do I not be angry how do I not be resentful uh you're like nope we can't help you with that that's not a thing that's a that's a feeling that's (laughs) I'm like no, no, no. We're about to disappoint you. And so I love what you're talking about is like, how do you figure out how to work within what you have and make the most of it? I'm super fucking bummed that you guys weren't therapists because I'm assuming we're around the same age when I was younger. <laughs> we would have done some, you would have done some, we would have done some really great work on my mental state. Uh-huh. Um, we were very drunk at 20, so maybe not. Maybe well. <laughs> We were also going through our own mental health stuff, so probably in the same boat. Uh, yeah, I was thinking about the other day how like pre-gaming used to make me stoked, and I think I'd rather just not participate any longer. No. Pre-game me- pre-gaming means I'm going to sleep. Alcohol in general, I'm not very interested. No, I'm yeah, just going no. right to sleep. For me, yeah. it's like the one glass of wine at four because I go to yeah. bed at eight. Uh-huh, right? uh-huh. I have like a panic attack right after. <laughs> One sip of wine, immediate panic attack. How did we do it? Okay, um, back to the question. What was the question? Well, it's really like like how amazing it's been that oh, you yeah. leaned in, right? So like holy shit. Yeah, this is what I do. I actually do this. When anxiety visits me, I stop. So I, I'm sure you guys agree. I always feel like there's the pain, right, which is the emotion, and then there's the suffering, which is the pain about the pain. So if you're 
experiencing anxiety, the suffering comes from having anxiety about the anxiety and resisting what's already there. And so when anxiety comes to visit me, I just stop, I put my hand on my heart and I just breathe and I say, hello. Sometimes I give her a name. I say, I hear you. I feel as if you really have something to say to me right now. And I want you to know I'm listening. I want you to know that you're safe. I want you to know that you have a place here. And I want to thank you because I know your deepest, deepest wish for me is that you want to keep me safe. Mm. And so I just really want to acknowledge you for doing that for me right now. You can stay as long as you want until you get your message out there. I am here. I am listening. You are safe. And I really thank you for visiting me right now. Oh, I love that. It's just her right there. dissolves your anxiety. If you can personify your anxiety as a her or a she or a he, depending on who, what you identify with. All of a sudden, when you make your anxiety feel safe, she relaxes and you're good. But the minute you resist it, the minute you don't accept it is when she flares up so significantly. I was on a podcast and you know, that practice also, you have to really accept that the time limit of when that anxiety is staying in your body is not up to you. It's up to that emotion. And so I was on a podcast. She was like, yeah, but then it stays for 30 minutes. I was like, that's not accepting. That's putting <laughs> parameters and suffocating. You have to wholeheartedly be like, I am good. If this bitch stays for two days, I'm good. I'm safe. I got my eye on the prize. I know what's worth it in this life. I know what's actually important. She's having a temper tantrum. I will continue to make her feel safe. And I know that she's got to cry it out in there. This is literally how I parent my toddler. It's I right. mean, this is parenting. I mean, that, let me talk about some like inner child shit, but like that's like my fucking yes. kid at home, right? Like, yeah, I was actually just thinking of a kid. Throwing, I don't have kids. Yeah. I was thinking like they're throwing the tantrum. Like you can't stop them. Right. No. Well, and what happens when you stop them, right? Like they, they'll... Attack. freak out even more right like <laughs> they get more me. intense and she attacks you right like and so she kicks her potty over but you're g- <laughs> to give space to the anxiety right where if you're saying i i can't feel this right or i only need to feel this for 30 minutes right there's such a fear about there's anxiety about having the anxiety where and then it ends up compounding on itself right and so i think I, I love the way that you're talking to your anxiety, you're personifying it, but also to be able to say like, okay, if I let myself feel this, I can get through this. This is something I can work through. I can let myself feel it and I can trust that I will get through this. And I think there's such a fear, you know, we hear this a lot too in men, right? Like if I allow myself to cry, if I allow myself to let myself feel this emotion, then what if it never stops? Right? It like, will, it will it, never stop unless you feel it. Exactly. <laughs> and so my answer is always like, you're feeling it whether or not yeah. you're letting yourself feel it. Doesn't matter. Yeah. I had such a beautiful moment the other night, which I should probably talk to my husband about what I share about our relationship. But anyways. <laughs> <laughs> well, afterwards. <laughs> we've been yeah, we've been working a lot on communication and, and him feeling safe when I'm emotionally upset because historically in the past, when I was emotionally flared up, it could mean emergency state. It could mean we got to go to the hospital. And so there's a little bit of that PTSD that we're starting to work around with this kind of new operating system that I am embodying. And so we were watching this um, TV show and the main characters decided to end their marriage. And 
I was really triggered because I saw one of the characters look in their face and it reminded me of one of my parents' look when they got divorced. And I was watching a marriage dissolve and then all of a sudden I was 17 and I was watching the most important marriage at the time dissolve as well. And I was like, there's a big emotion that's about to come out and it's primal. And I was like, am I safe right now to experience this with him sitting next to me? Mm -hmm. And I decided to be safe because it was like a tsunami coming up. And I let out this cry because I allowed myself that to, to feel safe in it. I let out a cry that was, I think, like five to seven seconds. And it was a loud noise. I don't even know what came out of my body. I started shaking and it was so intense. And 15 seconds later, I was fine because I just said, I am so safe in this. This is going to be a tsunami. It's going to be really intense. I know my partner loves me. Boom, let's do this. And I just didn't restrict the flow of what was coming up which I think really allowed probably some built up trauma stored in my body from, yep. from that time. There's a type of therapy called acceptance and commitment therapy. And they always give the example of the Chinese finger trap of like, if you try to pull away from it, you will get stuck. If you yeah. lean into it together, you can easily remove yourself, right? And I love that example because I think it's very easy to visualize, to look of like, okay, like if I don't try to pull away from this, if I don't try to struggle, if I breathe and ease in and lean in, I can release. And I think that that is like such an important thing about like, what if we allowed that? Like, what if we didn't treat ourselves with such rigidity and we worked within what we have? And or like, judge oh, ourselves. Yes, or right. Like when we emotionally released that intensely, because I think that was that was the one reason I didn't want to release. I was like, is this going to be like fucking weird? Like, is he going to think I'm crazy? You know, because when an intense emotion comes up, we do weird things with our bodies if we allow mm-hmm. ourselves to really feel. You know, and it looks weird. Yep. Yeah, yeah, but it's so natural. It's, but, uh, you use primal. It's but right, it is there's truly a re- human. There is a reason why we have such intense emotions, yes. right? Like we've developed those intense emotions for a reason. Just as you said, like our body is telling us something. There's some information there, and it's so interesting because just as therapists, like people will come into therapy and say, you know, I'm coming in because I have anxiety. So like take my anxiety away. <laughs> and then we're like, uh, that's not really how it works. No, the best is when somebody calls up and they're like, how many sessions would it be for you to get rid of my anxiety? And I'm and like, like, oh, that's uh, no. I, can- <laughs> I have a question. What kind of, do you guys find, because since, since like my experience with therapy was I think a little bit of the older traditional model. Yeah. Are the people coming to you, are they younger than you? Or do older people come to you? Because one time I went to the doctor and I was like, this guy's my age. I think I'm going to die of embarrassment, right? Like, does that happen to you? Is it younger, same age, older? It's everything. It's everything. It's everything. So when you get like a 65-year-old housewife who's like fed up with her life and she's like, tell me what to do. Especially because yeah. we do sex therapy. Like we'll, yeah, we'll get like couples in their 60s and I also 70s. think it depends yeah. on like who those people feel safe with right Mm -hmm. so if they see us and they're like well those girls are too young like i need someone who's older than us then they're not going to come to us right like that but there's people who or they see us and and they're too unprofessional right they're too unprofessional (laughs) right like i don't i want someone who's professional and very straight edge and so we're not going to be the right therapist for them but there are people who see us and they're like oh they can relate to me like they know what they can understand what i'm going through um they're not going to talk to me in this very like clinical walled up 
fashion. And so we really get all walks of life. But we always say, just as you're saying, just because someone's a therapist doesn't mean they're the right fit for you. And so for or you, a good therapist or a good therapist. So for <laughs> you to figure out what is the right fit is so essential to your healing. Yeah. Just as you said, you had some damaging experiences in therapy. Can I tell you well, my best experience? Please. Yes. This is, it's like, no, it's more of like a wild, funny story. Yeah, we want to hear it. Yes. So good. So this therapist I loved because she was all fucked in the head and also had a mental illness and her, her son had a mental illness and her husband had a mental illness and like, oi, it was like a, it was like a circus in that office. And um, so she would tell me how she would relate to me, but she was older. She was probably like 65. She was very bohemian and whatever. And I was talking about sex to her and how I felt shame around sex because um, because my paranoia was men trying to, you know, attack mm-hmm. and, and hurt yeah. me and so that left shame in my body. And she just sat there and she says, you want to know what I do? And I was like, tell me what you do. She's like, before I have sex, I'll go into a room. And she's like, like a 65 year old woman. I was like 23, four. I go into a room, I take my top off and I just massage my nipples for 10 minutes. I just massage my nipples for 10 minutes and it just gets me in the mood. So maybe you should try that. I was like, I fucking love you so much. Like, let like what a I very love specific recommendation. She was so quirky. I'm awesome. so glad you liked that we because were, many people would not. Also, also, I we were saying this the other day. I feel like sometimes therapists, and maybe I'm just giving everyone the benefit of the doubt, get to the point when they're they've done therapy fuck. for so long, and they're you just like, I don't fucking care. Is, I go and massage my nipples right before therapy. I tell you, people, because this is like one of those fields where you can be in for forever. Right? People are like, like until like I got a recommendation <laughs> from my therapist. I was like, oh, I need an older therapist. My mom was looking for a therapist. The therapist she gave me was 90. Okay, yeah, so this I is a field like people stay in forever. And I, yeah, I'm telling you, people get into this field in their 60s. They've been in this for 40 fucking years. Like, I don't give a shit. I rub my nipples. Here's how I play with my clit. Like, there was, like, no fucks given at some point. And in some ways, that's horrifying. In other ways, fucking mad respect to your girl. If we um, are in that <laughs> position, like, someone please stop us if I end up telling someone that I rub my nipples. Well, I don't know. We already talk about smoking pot. So, like, right. I don't know if that's, that's... We're already down this road, I think, my friend. But not in therapy. No, not in the room. That's She's just true. Favorite, just like, but she was my favorite therapist. This is... <laughs> She was the only therapist that like broke the yes. wall. Clinical like, wall, right? Fuck the wall. Like, who are you? Like, do you have a kid? Like, say something. Like, I would like, Anything. like want to them. And yes. Yes. Like, like, let me tell you about, you know, my whole family. And oh, when I disassociate, pop half a Latuda, boom. You're <laughs> like, incredible. Oh my gosh. Okay, wait. Scout, we have to do calling bullshit. So on the show with every guest, we call bullshit. And so what is something that you want to call bullshit on from your field or life? You can just pick whatever the fuck you want. Anyway. Oh, wow. I, I want to call bullshit on the psychiatry and older therapeutic models that talk about or that use the narrative that those with mental illnesses cannot uh, feel safe within their emotions. They can't trust their emotions and need to be clinically monitored. I think it's, it's, that's, that's a bullshit for me. Hell, can yes, yes, we can. I don't know can. how that sound goes. Yeah, but the editor truly, will put a soundtrack in. <laughs> um, Scout, we love you. We're so happy. Everyone has to buy The Emotional Entrepreneur. Please tell everyone where they can find more about you, where they can connect with you, and where they can buy this amazing book. So you can buy the book on Amazon. Just 
search the emotional entrepreneur or scout sobel or you can we'll do a swipe up too oh yay and then i'll give you guys the link for the show notes and all that and then you can follow me on instagram at scout sobel there you can find links to Scouts Agency, Scout Podcast, OKSIS Podcast, links to my book, everything you need to know. We'll be having some fun launch week stuff. So that's the best place to follow me. Yay. We are Thank honored you. that you came on. We are so much. We are so excited for other people to enjoy your amazing book, to keep following you, your career. Thank you for every, everything you're doing using your voice. We will see you all next week. If you enjoyed today's episode or you think someone else will as well, make sure to send it over. You can always rate, review, subscribe, and it's follow on Apple Podcasts. And remember to grow yourself. You got to know yourself. 